Hello, and welcome to the Commander Theory Podcast. I'm Nick Beatman, and I'm here with my friend, Zach Mack. Hello, everybody. We also have with us Alex Whiteclay, creator of Commander Manifesto. Welcome back to the show, Alex. As always, it's a pleasure to be here. Well, we are very glad to have you with us, as this is a very special episode. This is our 100th episode. And uh, I think it's fair to say that Commander Theory is a a future-facing podcast. So we want to encapsulate that in our 100th episode. And we're going to be discussing the future of the format today. We're going to be looking at current trends and using them to imagine what Commander is going to look like over the next few years. So the the primary data set we're going to be looking at today is the Commander Climate Survey, which is basically a measure of public opinion. In 2019, Cryogen, who's the moderator of MTG Nexus and the Rules Committee's Discord server, he released a survey of the community's attitudes on various issues in Commander. Then earlier this year, he released a slightly updated version. So we have a good source of data to see how the community's attitudes have changed from July of 2019 to June of 2020. Um, So while the Rules Committee is not necessarily going to make the changes recommended by the majority of players who responded to this survey, uh, the data is reported to them and does inform their decisions a little bit. So it's a good metric to see what the community is feeling right now on these major issues, maybe get a sense of like what, how the, how the rules committee is being directed by the public at the moment. So I think we can go ahead and, and take a look at that. But before we get into the results, I just want to give a little caveat. The sample size was significantly smaller in 2020 than it was in 2019. 2019 survey received uh, over 10,000 responses, while the 2020 only got a little bit over 1,000. I'm not fully sure what caused the drop-off in responses. One thing that is notable in the results is that people are sort of happier with the format now than they were a year ago. So maybe it's just that they don't feel as compelled to respond, to make their voices heard. Uh, Do you all have any theories as to the, the decreased sample size in 2020? I have an anecdotal one and then sort of one that turned up as I was digging into the subject a little more. Um, The first, I guess, is that the 2019 survey is pretty easy to hit with a Google search if you just look for uh, Commander Climate Survey. The 2020 survey, on the other hand, is a bit harder to find. You have to know what platform uh, hosted the survey and then use the search function on that platform. So for example, I had to go into Reddit and search there to find both the 2019 and 2020 survey, whereas Google would give me the 2019 no problem. As I was poking around looking for it, I also chanced across Cryogen's kind of own comments on the 2019 survey, where they note that uh, in addition to posting it, you know, on Reddit, MGD Salvation, Twitter, things like that. Um, There were other kind of high profile individuals who shared the survey. So uh, Sheldon Mennery, Benny Smith, as well as uh, the CEDH subreddit. Um, And those kind of signal boosts may have accounted, at least in some part, for the increased response rate. It's hard to say, I guess, if it explains the whole thing or if it's kind of more like you were saying. Good to know. Good explanation. 
Well, I think we can go ahead and jump into some of these questions. Some of them, there's not going to be a lot of movement between 2019 and 2020. So we'll just kind of move past those briskly. But a couple of them have some really interesting results. So let's start off with uh, the first question on both surveys. Which of the banned cards do you think should be unbanned? There is a lot of consistency between the two years. In 2019, the most common request for unbanning, Coalition Victory, only got about 40% of all votes. And in 2020, it was also the most common request for unbanning with 36.8% of the vote. And this is the front runner in both cases. So in no year did a card request or did a request for unbanning get the majority of votes of respondents. So I I think we can safely predict that the majority of commander players are not going to rally around the unbanning of a single card anytime soon. So if the rules committee is going to take cards off the ban list, it's not going to be based on what the majority of the community requests. Um, and, and more likely it's going to occur as a result of lobbying from CAG members or other prominent members of the community, rather than this a clear indicator of 51% of people want this to happen. Any things that stuck out to you in terms of the requests for unbanning? I will go ahead and make a note that the Paradox Engine ban uh, became a lot more popular uh, from last year to this year. 39% of respondents in 2019 responded that they would like Paradox Engine unbanned, whereas the more recent survey saw that number drop down to 28%, so a 10-point drop um, in wanting an unbanning. It'll be interesting to see, you know, as things kind of get banned, you saw a little bit of a bit a dip in a similar fashion with Iona, although only very marginally now that I'm reviewing the data. But it'll be interesting to see, I guess, as we move further and further away from decision points, like the banning of Paradox Engine, if we will see kind of consistent increased support for the status quo, or if we might see a case where uh, it works in the opposite direction and is widely kind of then accounted as a mistake. Yeah, it makes me think that these cards that have been banned for a very long time are the the request for unbanning that we see for them are a bit more valid than the sort of reactionary ones to recent bannings. So if Coalition Victory has been banned for, you know, a decade and Braids Cabal Minion has been banned since the change to Band as Commander, since the elimination of the Band as Commander list. Um, and Biorhythm has also been banned for an extremely long time. Like the fact that they, any attrition that was going to happen as a result of just over time people caring less, the fact that that's already occurred me- makes this more valid to me and more um, a better indicator that this is something the community really wants and really, really believes because we're seeing like, like I mentioned, coalition victory, very high up there hovering around 40% both years. Braids cabal minion is around 26%, 28%. And then biorhythm we're seeing like around 20, between 23 and 28%. Really it's a significant portion of the community wants these cards to be unbanned and, likely has wanted them to be unbanned for, for quite some time now. Uh, any any final comments on the unbanning request before we move on to uh, the flip side of that? Part of the thing with Paradox Engine might also just be the price tag. 
I think like as time goes on and the wounds kind of settle down that we might see less of a call to unban it next year, maybe a little bit less the year after that. It was a pretty hefty price tag on it. And I think that there are still people who are hopeful that their investments can retain some value, maybe if the RC uh, reverses the decision. That is a great point. I'm looking at Paradox Engine now. It's currently at under $5, whereas it was hovering at around 40 this time last year. So it lost a significant chunk of its value over the past year. And I can definitely see why that would lead to many, so many calls for unbanning and so much um, unrest with the banning of that card. Whereas things like Biorhythm, Braids, Coalition, Victory, when they were banned, they were not significantly expensive. The talk about Paradox Engine comes with a little bit more monetary heft than a lot of the other cards, which are maybe just purely gameplay focused. Okay, this next question is, which of these legal cards do you think should be banned? Uh, so I'm just going to list out the top five for both years. So in 2019, the top five cards were Flash, Mana Crypt, Cyclonic Rift, Soul Ring, and Winter Orb. And in 2020, uh, they actually added an option. Number one, don't ban anything else. But of the actual cards listed, it was Cyclonic Rift, Mana Crypt, Thassa's Oracle, Soul Ring, and Gaia's Cradle. A lot to unpack here. The fact that we're sort of seeing representation of both like the casual communities, Boogeyman, as well as things that are seen as a bit more pro- problematic on the competitive side. So um, what, what seems most interesting out of these groups of cards from 2019 and 2020? Well, I guess first off, we we got the flash ban, so I guess big win there for the uh, the boogeyman last year. Um, now it's looking like kind of fast mana is the concern of the format. Um, a little uh, winter orb has got pushed out of its spot, although it's not far from the top still. But there there is a little bit less of a sense, I guess that. Uh, stacks are kind of the be-all end-all of the bad play experience definitely really interesting that um so cyclonic rift it's not i wouldn't say it's surprising i personally don't think it needs to be banned but it is one of those cards that people are constantly calling for banning for so not too surprising to see that in the top five i do think it's very interesting to see soul ring in the top five of both years because it's been such a common argument that like it's you know it's printed in every commander deck it's in every deck it's such an integral part of the format so it is interesting to see a significant minority both years calling for its banning and i i I should attach some uh percentage points to these so uh in in 2019 flash got 37.5 percent of the vote Mana Crypt got 26%, Cyclonic Rift got 26%, Soul Ring got 22.7%, and um, Winter Orb got 15.5%. So 2019, none of these cards are breaching 50%, and the percentages are actually even lower in 2020. And Don't Ban Anything Else got 34.6% of the vote in 2020, followed by Cyclonic Rift at 16%, Mana Crypt at 15%, Thassa's Oracle at 12.9%, Soul Ring at 12.7%, and Gaia's Cradle at 10%. So all of these are really like significant 
they're, they're minorities. I think they're significant, but in both cases, the majority of the format was behind not doing any banning. So it is pretty interesting that Flash got banned despite not having a clear majority in this 10,000 respondent survey. Definitely was interesting to see really the entire interest in banning more cards kind of reduce from one year to the next. And I, I almost wonder if adding that you know option, do not ban any additional cards, meant that people who normally would, or I guess not normally, but last year would have just skipped over the question and not contributed to the statistics at all, instead felt, eh, you know what, I'll go ahead and jot down my take, which is we're fine where we are. Yeah, that would definitely explain the the decrease pretty much across the board of requests for bannings. So mm-hmm. it, it definitely like makes the survey a little bit more val or makes that survey item a little bit more representative of what the community as a whole wants. And it's going to be interesting in future years to compare results once we have that option every single year. Agreed. And before I guess we move away from the banning uh, statistics, I just wanted to make a note that Painter's Servant, only 2% of respondents were in favor of banning Painter's Servant. Uh, and as listeners may know, I'm a big fan of Painter Servant, and I'm glad to see that the community has come around to him too. Painter Servant for so many years was just a completely baffling banning decision. Uh, I think it's great that we now have the CAG as like a, a little bit of a reality check for the RC because the the RC seemed very concerned about Painter Servant for you know its its combo potential, but I. I I think Charlotte has said like that was one of the first cards that the CAG brought up when they started to get asked about the ban list by the RC. We're going to go through a couple that don't have very large changes. Um, The next question is commander damage and whether it should be adjusted, changed in some way. The majority of the format still believes it should be left how it is. About 66% of the format said status quo in 2019 in 2020 that's 71 percent 2019 there was a significant minority 20 percent said it should be cumulative among all generals or all commanders smaller percentage said it should be removed altogether but in both years it's the majority of players think it should be left how it is then the next one is like tangential also related to like how easy it is to end the game how the starting life total should be managed And it went from 77% requesting that it be left at 40 life in 2019 to 82.8%. So slight increase for the status quo. But in both years, there's a significant minority who are requesting that it should be decreased to 30 life. That's 19.4% in 2019 and 15.6% in 2020. Any, Any thoughts on these two game ending type questions before we move on to the next one? Well, other than to point out that the status quo is getting a big win here, people are kind of coming around to the arguments for keeping things the way they are. It seems you can you can actually, especially with like the starting life total, you can see the section of people about five percent who just changed their mind from thirty uh, percent to forty percent. I guess we might see that as people kind of identifying that Commander is unusual uh, and wanting maybe to keep it that way, but it might just be that people don't like change. I think in some regards, because we are getting 
probably more enfranchised players for the 2020 survey of people who like Commander because it's Commander. So I think in these questions where it's not specifically cards and play styles, we got kind of a boost in support of people who played Commander because it's like bigger life total, slower, that kind of stuff. Like they liked those things initially. And so these people who responded this year might not have wanted those things to change as much as someone who is maybe looking at the format through either like a more casual lens or like a more like how can I make this more efficient kind of lens I'm I'm wondering if just in general the the community was dissatisfied last year and, and well we'll get more into later in like a, a more direct look at like player satisfaction with the format but I'm wondering if players were like more unhappy last year but not all of them could pinpoint exactly what it was that was making them unhappy so there was just more interest in some kind of change whatever it may be whereas this year we're more content like the form a lot the bannings over the past year have improved the quality of the format Uh, the exist the development of the cag has made people feel that their voices are being heard that they have a better ability to shape the format and because of that they're a little bit less willing to experiment with changes and are happy with the status quo so the next question is related to changes to the infect total the the number of poison counters required to kill a player in commander Um, last year it was 58.4 percent of respondents said it should be left at 10 points 31.6 percent of respondents thought it should be increased to 15 points and then about uh 10% ish various other responses in 2020 left at 10 points got 69.7% of the vote increased to 15 points got 15.4% of the vote and then an actual option and then an increase to 20 points was made a possible response rather than just a write in so that got 13.1% of the vote and then it was like you know, two to 3% various other responses. So notable changes here, the increase in support for the status quo went from 58 to 69.7%. So 10% increase over the course of a year, that's, that's pretty major. And then I think this data also shows the importance of default options in shaping results, because increase to 20 wasn't an option in 2019. It got a lot of write-in support, but people tend to look at the options that are presented to them and choose from among those. And once it was given as an option in 2020, it got almost as much as an increase to 15. I think that's notable as well. Any Anything that stuck out to you? Any explanations for why there might be so much increase in support for the status quo for Poison? Honestly, I'm a little surprised. Uh, what with Ikoria kind of putting a, a big gust of wind in the sails of infect M- maybe it's just that people have had an opportunity to play with it more in the last few months and have decided it's not as scary as they remember I- i'm a little baffled the only explanation that really seems to make a ton of sense is just that people are happy where we are it could be that like people like mutate so much people like these mutate commanders so much that the fun they get from being the person running infect is greater than like the the negative emotions they get from being hit by the infectious brocos or whatever maybe mutate has added more fun to infect than it has unfun or or 
dis disvalue or however you want to put it. In the years since Scars and Mirrodin block, Infect has become like a fringe strategy. Really kind of feels like cheating where you're like, haha, I only have to hit you for 10. So I think there's a feel bad about it. But now that you can just kind of have an Infect guy and then all of a sudden you can put one of these mutate commanders on it or something like it. I think it is a little bit more accessible. Um, so I think the feel bad about it might be lessened. I think the net gain from the mutate commanders was actually that infect became more fun for more people. One other guess, and and maybe this is less likely, is last year we had a bunch of new proliferate cards in War the Spark. And maybe it's that people don't like losing to like proliferating poison but they're okay getting hit by a 6-6 infect guy because like it's a lot easier to interact with creatures with infect than like well i played an Icarats and then i just used my Karn's bastion nine times something like that yeah that does raise the question of whether the intent of this is infect should be 10 or poison should be 10 as you mentioned proliferate and and there's a ton of new proliferate stuff and very strong proliferate stuff that people who are new to the game can now take advantage of and can potentially even kind of throw back in the face of an opponent who maybe starts poisoning people but doesn't finish the job where you know it it may have felt one-sided if you didn't have access to all of these uh, scars block proliferate pieces but now you've got your war of the spark proliferate pieces and you can really punish an Icarats that doesn't get follow-up. Yeah, that's a good point. Like, there, there definitely were a lot of strong proliferate cards. Um, the plane-wide celebration, for example, just being able to take opponents from six poison to dead is a really out-of-nowhere hit and can backfire on somebody who is who plays the Icarats but can't can't seal the deal. It might make sense just in future years to have it talk about poison instead of infect, and we won't have to suss out that conversation. Yeah, <laughs> yeah good point. The next one is mm, a little difficult to compare between years because they switch the format from um, like single, you get one vote and have to choose among these options to a format where you can choose multiple options. And so that adds more to more than 100% and uh can get a little bit confusing. So this is regarding the color identity rule. Um, in 2019, 64.4% of respondents said it should be left alone. About 20% of respondents said it should be relaxed to include off-color hybrid. And about 14% said it should be made more strict to include flavorful, for example, things like excluding fetch off-color fetch lands from decks that can currently run them. And in 2020, it became uh, a bit more challenging to to talk about the results. Um, yeah, <laughs> yeah. There are some there are some things that are easy to talk about, but much of it is much harder. Yeah. So uh, in 2020, 55 percent of respondents said that the color identity rule should be left alone. In 2020, 31.6 percent of respondents said it should be loosened to include off color hybrid mana. And then there's significant minorities saying it should be. Uh, oh God, let me let me just pull up all these options because it's it's difficult to read in this format. Stricter to ban flavorfully off-color cards. Loosened to allow off-color transform cards. Loosened to allow off-color mana production. 
Lucen to allow off-color to void cards. Stricter to give extort a white-black color identity. And all of those options kind of range in the 15% to 7% support rate. So what can you glean from the changes year over year uh, in, in interest in color identity? Well, there's a pretty straight line. About 10% of people were convinced to leave Left Alone and join Lucent to include off-color hybrid mana cards. It's like a straight line, just 10% lopped off and placed on the other. Other than that, there's sort of this mix of approaches. Essentially, you can glean from the data that there are all kinds of competing sort of philosophies as the as to the right way to handle color identity, because you could kind of mix and match all of these things to create a tweak of the current system. I'm not entirely sure what collecting this data will do for anyone, since we're not going to see like a simple majority in favor of any one of these things, most likely, unless the trend line continues with specifically hybrid cards. It might make sense to just kind of work from the desired outcome and in the future handle this maybe the way the first one did, where you just say, this is what we're looking to accomplish. Do you agree with that means of accomplishing or do you agree with some means of accomplishing that goal? Because we can't, you know, you have to have a rule in place that accomplishes what you're looking to accomplish. Uh, so moving on to how should wish effects function in Commander. Uh, so in 2019, 51.4% of respondents said they should keep the current rule. 38.5% of respondents said that they should create a wish board of a fixed size. And then 8% of respondents said that wishes should pull any card from your collection. So no limit on how how many different things you can wish for. Small percentage points for, for other options. In 2020, the support for the status quo actually decreased to 46.4%. 24.5% said that wishes should be able to search from a wish board of a fixed size. 9.6% said that we should be able to pull cards from exile. Very small chunk, maybe about 5% said that wishes should be able to pull any card from your collection. And then an option was added for, I don't have a strong opinion on this topic. So and that got 13.2% of the vote. So I think that adding that I don't care option kind of depressed the values for all of these other choices. I think that if you had taken that away, it'd probably still be majority for status quo. But it is interesting that these other options, you know, fixed wishboard size, pulling from exile, pulling any card from your collection, do make up a, a pretty significant chunk. Like, in both years, like we're at over over 35% in 2020, close to 50% in 2019. There's a lot of interest in these wish effects. What, what do you make of this? So as you mentioned, there was the option added, I don't have a strong opinion. If you kind of take that out of the picture, the keep the current rule camp sort of its lead over the create a fixed wish board increases. But when you take it into account, what you notice is that you now have a majority of people who wouldn't be offended by wishes in some capacity, which, you know, that that's a different, 
uh, a different kind of final bottom line than you saw last year. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it is, um, it gives me hope that we will see some kind of change because these reports, these results are being reported to the rules committee. And as long as, which is our continuing to be print, uh, continue to be printed by wizards, it just makes it more and more likely that the momentum is going to build behind wishes functioning in commander. Um, that said, it is up to the discretion of the rules committee. They don't have to do something just because it seems like the majority of players are interested in it, but it's, it's promising still like they, they have to have a pretty good justification for not doing what the community wants to do. Yeah. There's also, this is an interesting point just because it does kind of distinguish between what people actively want versus what people would not like have their sensibilities offended by. Mm-hmm. That's not something you see in most of the other sections because the opinion is not as close as it is here. I mean, this is like a razor thin margin. Hopefully that leads to some fruitful debates among the CAG and the RC. Yeah. Well, I think it honestly, it might take another year because I think what, if they keep the same options as they have this year, uh, we're going to see more people go to the create a wish board or the I don't care, which is going to be more and more people in the, yeah, we should play with wishes camp. So I, my prediction would be if they do this again next year and they have the same options that we'll see both of those uh, wedges on the pie graph just kind of widen a little bit. But um, that that's assuming Wizards keeps printing wish cards and that uh, there are more and more cards that people just can't play with in their casual format. All right, moving on to the next question. Uh, not a lot of change here. In 2019, 62.7% said that the tuck rule should stay removed. 10.9% said it should be brought back. And 26.4% were indifferent to this change. In 2020, uh, 70.3% of respondents said the tuck rule should stay removed. 10.4% said it should be brought back. And 19.3% were indifferent to the change. About a pretty consistent 10 to 11% of the format say it should be brought back 90% either don't care or say it should stay removed. Um, Tucking basically remains pretty unpopular and that's not too surprising. All right. Well, this, this next one uh, surprised me and uh, I'm, I'm really interested to see if the rules committee decides to act on it. This question is what should be done with the band as commander list? So in 2019, 55.5% of respondents said it should remain gone. 19.2% of respondents said it should be brought back with Braids and Arayo on it. And 25.3% of respondents said it should be brought back with more generals added to it. Um, The question choices or the the answer choices changed slightly to 2020. I think they removed this like calling out specific commanders and 2020 it's just should it remain gone or should be brought back. And when it was simplified that way in 2020, 47.5% of respondents said it should remain gone and 52.5% of respondents said it should be brought back. So it actually flipped from majority supporting the status quo in 2019 to majority saying it should be brought back in 2020. I think that's really interesting. I think, uh, and and this is like the most clear result 
of anywhere in the survey, really, um, that the majority is in favor of something other than the status quo. So what, what are your thoughts on this? It should be noted here that 25% of respondents back in question one wanted Lutri unbanned. So what we might be seeing here is minds being changed in that 25% of people um, and a larger support for Banda's commander because that kind of promises a future where we could see Banda's companion, which would then allow Lutri to be legal as a commander or a card in the 99. Also calling back to this first question, um, Braids was one of the cards we mentioned as having the most support for an unbanning in both years um, with 20 with 28.7% requesting that it be unbanned in 2019 and 26.2% requesting that it be unbanned in 2020. So definitely a lot of support for braids. And I think some of that is translating into what we're seeing with this question. But I want to ask, what should the rules committee do when they're presented with information like this? Um, The community wants something how much burden is on them to either make that change or provide a really good justification for not making that change? I'll go on record as saying that at minimum, there should be a very, very strong justification given and sort of posted for perpetuity to justify the rule as it is. Um, I think everything about the format should have justifications to this offense. Like, honestly, there should be a write-up next to every banned card justifying mm. the status quo. Like, we don't we don't play a game that uses the fact that that's how it is as a justification, or at least there's reason to think we shouldn't. So since it isn't the, the habit of the Rules Committee to kind of provide explanations that can be spoken to as though they are the official argument, at least when they are going contrary to a majority opinion to the contrary, they should have that in place. Because realistically, there's not going to be any way for us to come to an agreement unless people are satisfied that they have been heard and the issue can be revisited on kind of fair terms with equal information by all the parties. I would agree with a lot of that. One of the reasons the CAG has been so good and influential is simply the fact that people feel like they're being heard finally when they're talking about Commander and problems they're experiencing in Commander. So I think that that kind of transparency and that kind of being able to lay out your argument in a way that people can like find easily, they can understand, kind of debate the merits on is pretty important to Commander. I do want to say that like there's definitely popular opinions in the format that I disagree with, and there's opinions I have that other players disagree with. I, I think it's not to say that like the majority voice should always get what they want. I think basically the, the community might not have its best interest at heart all the time, but you better have a good explanation for why you're doing what you're doing in a way where if it does show cracks that you can revisit it and maybe reverse the decision at some point. That's really what I'm trying to say here. Mm-hmm. I think what it kind of comes down to is the commander playing community. Like we're not, we're not children. You can have a conversation with us about why it is the case that something is better, like convince us. And then we can come to a consensus. Yeah, exactly. I, I totally think that's 
That's true. So, so for this question in particular, because it was such a a striking and clear cut difference from the previous year, I actually brought it up with Charlotte Sable, who's a member of the Commander Advisory Group, and she sort of provided a little bit of justification. Uh, unfortunately, it is not great that I have to like go directly. I mean, it's it's awesome that I can go directly to Charlotte and get this question answered. It would be great if someone who you know, doesn't know Charlotte, doesn't like personally know a CAG member is able to get this information. It would be great if like this explanation I'm about to relay were posted on the commander, mtgcommander.net. But that being said, here's here's what I learned. The 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 thinking for band as a commander and why they, they got rid of the band as a commander list is that format specific rules need to address wide cases and not narrow ones. So banned as a commander stands a better chance of coming back if it would apply to a larger swath of cards. Um, but right now it only applies to a few, most notably like Arayo, Braids, Cabal Minion, uh, Leovold. And Charlotte made an interesting note that if Planeswalkers were to become legal as commanders, that would likely make this banned as commander rule more viable because there would be a bunch of of planeswalkers that are fine now in the main deck, not a big issue, but you wouldn't want them being cast from the command zone every game multiple times. So that's the current justification for why we no longer have the band as commander list that opens the door for like, if more messed up legendary creatures get printed, that could make it more likely that it comes back. Or if this planeswalker change were to occur. So the, the door is not closed, is what I'm saying. Let's move on to the next question, which is, should Planeswalkers be allowed as commanders? In 2019, 62.4% of respondents said that Planeswalkers should continue to not be allowed as commanders unless they specifically have text saying it's okay. Uh, and 37.6% of respondents said that the rule should be changed to legalize all Planeswalkers as commanders. In 2020, 65.2% of respondents supported status quo. 28.2% of respondents said the rule should be changed to legalize all Planeswalkers as commanders. And a new option was added, banning all Planeswalkers as commanders. So that would include things like Estrid or Duretti. And that got about, I want to say like... 6.6%? Yeah, there we go. I was going to say about 7. So very slight, maybe not significant increase for the status quo. And then uh, this this change to ban all Planeswalkers as commanders seems to have just been cut directly from the folks who wanted to legalize all Planeswalkers as commanders, although it's likely to be shifting differently than that. What does this change communicate to you? What are you gleaning from this? Yeah, it's a move a move away from Planeswalker commanders kind of overall, which I guess shouldn't be surprising since 2019 was a pretty big year for Planeswalkers. Um, War of the Spark was, you know, just coming out. We had Oathbreaker kind of uh, at the top of its game around that time. But it's interesting, I guess, to see the change to ban all Planeswalkers as commanders getting a not insignificant part of the pie. Mm -hmm. Um, I'd be curious to know what percentage of people in 2019 would have responded that way if they had been given the chance. Mm -hmm. I'm curious about which Planeswalkers in particular they're they're thinking of. I mean, like Doretti and Teferi are strong, but 
how they think it would improve the format essentially. Um, Another thing I want to point out, you, you definitely hit the nail on the head. Like 2019, the survey was came out just like a month or two after the release of War of the Spark. Another thing I want to point out, there's been a lot of uh, uh, malfeasance committed by Planeswalkers over the past year. Um, Oko was horribly unfun to play against and got banned in several formats. Teferi, uh, Three Fairy, as he's often called, the, the War of the Spark Teferi has been really dominated in standard and a lot of people have complained about how unfun he is to to play against same with narset to a lesser extent planeswalkers have had a really been big impact on a lot of formats and a lot of the most powerful ones have been preventing your opponents from playing the game of magic maybe if we hadn't seen like these specific very unfun cards there might be more support for planeswalkers as commanders but these few unfun examples may be kind of ruining things for more pro-social planeswalkers. People take their 60-card experiences and kind of bring them over into Commander, which I think is kind of flawed logic. Oko can cause problems at a table because Oko is very good, but nowhere near the distress that it does in a 1v1 match where... You alone are the primary factor in eliminating this Oko and making sure your game plan can go forward. Like now Oko has to contend with uh, usually at a minimum three other players. So maybe they cut off the best thing. But if it becomes a problem, there's like other kill spells, there's other creatures. You're right that these primary offenders have really like sullied the name of Planeswalkers as commanders. But I I would urge people to... Think about it a little more. Maybe even play test if your playgroup is okay with that or just just alone like uh, on a deck builder or something like that and just really see like it's... I think I think it's better than you think it is. <laughs> it's more fun than you think it is. I'm so sorry that Teferi sucked for so long, but, but he's not that good in Commander. <laughs> Definitely interested to see how this changes over the next year. Maybe we'll get some more conservative Planeswalker designs out of Wizards and... Um, People won't the the sting of all these war planeswalkers won't be quite so fresh. Moving on to some measures of player satisfaction. These these are really interesting. Um, so this first question is overall, how satisfied are you with the rules as they currently exist? Um, in 2019, 46.8% of respondents said they were moderately satisfied. 22.2% they were said they were extremely satisfied. 15.9% said they were somewhat satisfied. And then the remainder uh, are divided mostly evenly among neither satisfied nor dissatisfied, somewhat dissatisfied, moderately dissatisfied, or extremely dissatisfied. So basically about 15% of the format uh, were divided among those four options. But really... Almost half of players are moderately satisfied. Basically, the the majority of the format is somewhere between extremely satisfied and somewhat satisfied. So pretty positive overall look in 2019. In 2020, 33.2% of players said they were extremely satisfied. So huge bump over the previous year. 48.9% said they were moderately satisfied. And... uh, 10.7% said they were somewhat satisfied. And then the remainder of about uh, 8% maybe were divided among 
neither neither satisfied nor dissatisfied, somewhat dissatisfied, moderately dissatisfied, or extremely dissatisfied. So pretty positive overall look both years. Um, big increase in those who are extremely satisfied. What do you think accounts for this change in player satisfaction over this past year? Well, we saw the commander advisory group really kind of hit its stride over the last year. Um, when the first survey came down, the CAG had only had its charter for about four months. Um, obviously, it's been much longer than that now. So they've had an opportunity to serve as the kind of ambassadors to commander players um, that was the promise of the body. On top of that, there have been a pretty large number of things for the CAG to kind of come out and present. So there was the change to the dies rule. There were several bannings. There were um, unbannings or scratch that. I don't think there were unbannings. But the the CAG had a lot on their plate, really. Um, and just being present to deliver the message in a way that isn't just sort of a uh, commandment from on high and is instead sort of this approaching a dialogue kind of um, media blitz makes it so that at least when people don't agree with what's happening, they are given an explanation as to why it's happening. And we're, we're going to come up to a couple more data points here that kind of are in conversation with those same topics. Yeah, yeah, totally. So overall, how satisfied are you with the way the rules committee manages the format? In 2019, 12.6% of respondents said extremely satisfied. Uh, 26.2% say moderately satisfied, 14% said somewhat satisfied, 11.6% said neither satisfied nor dissatisfied, 13%, 12%, and 10% said somewhat, moderately, or extremely dissatisfied. So essentially about, uh, 30, about a third of the format is some degree of dissatisfied in 2019. Um, and then about half of respondents said they were some degree of satisfied. In 2020, uh, that, there's a big shift. 28.9% um, of respondents said they were extremely satisfied. 30.4% of respondents said they were moderately satisfied. 13.9% of respondents said somewhat satisfied. 7.5% of respondents said neither satisfied nor dissatisfied. So over 75% of respondents is either neutral or happy with the way the rules committee is managing the format in 2020. And then the remaining quarter is broken down between somewhat moderately or extremely dissatisfied. So I want to just highlight this one huge change of 12.6% extremely satisfied in 2019 versus 28.9% extremely satisfied in 2020. So a 16% jump in the number of people ex who are extremely satisfied. That's really significant to me. This is a, a slightly different axis than the previous question. This is less about the rules and more about the leadership themselves. Uh, what do you think accounts for this change? To echo a point that we're probably going to echo a few more times, like the CAG is a big one. The transparency that they've lent to the format, all of that. And this is going to be a spoiler alert. A few more questions down, there's going to be a another question where this is the answer. I just feel like people are being more heard than they were before because of the CAG and because there's a lot more transparency 
So that being the case, I think there's also a lot more uh, things people wanted to see happened, like the flash ban, uh, the painter servant unbanning. Like there's just things that have happened over the years that people were very vocal about. And so to see them happen, I think made them made them happy, made them respond in a positive way. What amount of input do you feel Wizards of the Coast should have in managing the format? So in 2019, we got uh, 16.7% saying no input at all, 38.9% saying a little input, uh, 25% saying a decent amount of input, 7% saying a lot of input, 12.3% saying Wizards should take full control of the format. And there was a significant change between that and the the following year. So in 2020, uh, 27.4% of respondents said wizards should have no input at all. 44.9% said wizards should have a little input. Uh, 17.7% said they should have a decent amount of input. 3% said a lot of input. And 7% said they should take full control of the format. So it seems like a pretty clear shift away from... like. If we're viewing this as a spectrum, the respondents in 2020 want Wizards to have less control of the format than they said they wanted in 2019. What do you think has happened over the last couple of years or the last year to create this change in opinion? Well, at the risk of uh, giving people who played a lot of standard flashbacks, things like Oko, there have been uh, a lot of bannings in high visibility formats. I guess anecdotally, there's a lot of talk about how maybe Wizards doesn't have their finger on the pulse of what is or isn't healthy for the formats that they kind of are stewards of. And a worry that has kind of mounted among commander players who are more likely than not watching this from the sidelines in horror as uh, they imagine what what terrible things might befall the format. (laughs) Definitely. Like, um, and another thing I really want to highlight as a big misstep from the past year is, uh, the unprecedented change to the companion mechanic. Um, this mechanic was released immediately had a huge impact on all formats going all the way back to vintage, um, or rather, uh, all tournament formats going all the way back to vintage and necessitated a change, a, a significant nerfing in how the mechanic worked. That is not something that is going to create a lot of player confidence in your, your leadership. Um, so yeah, it's, uh, I think it's a pretty direct reaction to wizards missteps over the past year. Well, how do you all feel about the the idea of wizards having more input in commander do you think that they've do you think that do you sort of agree with the majority here do you think that wizards shouldn't really have their be dabbling too much in commander or do you think that their track record in commander should be looked at differently from their track record for other formats i guess i might not even frame the question in those terms i almost see those kind of worries that, like we said, we can only speculate as to whether or not these worries are what is causing this change in response. But, you know, if we just say for the sake of argument that they are, what we have seen in the last year with bannings and changing to rules and things of that nature is very much a 
responsiveness from wizards. This this is an indication that they are paying attention. So it's interesting that the the blade is cutting the other way, as it were, when the fact that Wizards is kind of willing to acknowledge mistakes and do what is necessary to help a format in spite of their own mistakes, it almost makes it seem as though folks should be more confident, but that's not what we're seeing. And, you know, maybe that's a hot take. I think that's an excellent point. I think that, you know, we've had a leadership that was unwilling to make changes for a very long period of time. We had years go by without any changes to the ban list or the rules. I mean, some players don't like leadership that meddles or tinkers. They don't, they want like consistency. They don't want a lot of changes to have to deal with, but I would rather have a leadership that is really engaged and willing to sort of own up to mistakes and make necessary changes. And I think, you know, Wizards is demonstrating that. That's great. And the Rules Committee and CAG are have also demonstrated that over the past year. And it's interesting that the Rules Committee hasn't gotten nearly as much blowback because some could say that, like, the need to ban Flash was necessitated by the banning of Paradox Engine. And is was the banning of Paradox Engine a mistake? Maybe, maybe not. But, you know, if your actions create a problem in the format um you need to be able to respond to that quickly and there was like a over six months of lag time in between the banning of paradox engine and the banning of flash so i I think that it's good for leaders to be moving quickly when problems arise and i don't think that the last year is necessarily a knock against wizards as managers of the format maybe a knock against them as designers but if they were managing commander this is, I, I think this is a good track record. They're responsive to the problems that are coming up, just as they would be in their role as stewards of the commander format. This next one is, is a really interesting one. An enormous shift took place over the past year in the opinions of players in terms of how much influence they believe they held over the format. Yeah, we've been making a lot of claims over the last few minutes that you may have been going, oh, no, there's no way that's true. But we're we're about to give you the data that very much says that it is. Yes. So uh, this this question was a a one to 10 scale. You could uh, one being very little or no impact and then 10 being an enormous impact. So in 2019, 48 percent of respondents chose one little or no impact. Thirteen point seven percent of respondents said two. Eleven point seven said three. Five point six said four. Eight point three said five. Uh, four and a half said six. Four percent said seven. Two percent said eight. Point six percent said nine, and one point three percent said ten. Almost half of respondents chose one. The vast majority of respondents clearly not very confident in their ability to influence the format. And then uh, in twenty twenty, enormous change. of respondents chose one, Uh, 3.9% of respondents said two, 9.6% of respondents said three, 7.2% said four, 12.2% said five, 10.3% said six, 12.8% said seven, 14.2% said eight, 4.8% said nine, and 4.4% of respondents said 10. 
I have an enormous influence, uh, or rather, my voice is heard by the RC and ORCAG. And actually, that's that's something I should I should clarify. In 2020, this question is framed differently. Um, rather than saying how much of an influence you had, it becomes how well do you feel your voice is heard. So that is um, that's a significant difference, and it probably accounts for some of the changes here. But this, in both cases, like these two questions, are the metric of um, d- is does my opinion matter? essentially. So the change in response is obviously quite dramatic. And if you look at, you know, the overall positive responses, so five or greater, uh, you, you see in 2019, almost 50% saying I have no influence and 20% saying five or more, which is, you know, uh, I have some, and that gets flipped the next year to, a five or greater being 50% of the market share and a one being only 20. I think the way the question is posed reflects kind of the changing reality of how players influence Commander. You can really ask people last year, how well does do you feel your voice is heard by the CAG? Because the CAG was still in its infancy at that point. But if we think of the CAG as being like some kind of representative democracy, like this, this shift is, I mean, really profound. It's a huge, huge change. Yeah. Really to compound everything, all the data that we've talked about up to this point leads to this question where I feel like people do finally feel like, or at least more people feel like they are being heard that when they discuss things and when they communicate those things to Twitter or to their friends or on forums, that they're actually being heard and being picked up and being discussed. Um, I cannot tell you just how many times in the last year uh, I've seen someone tweet on Twitter being like, okay, where is this discourse happening? And then it is found somewhere. So uh, like someone will point to it, maybe a Reddit thread or maybe uh, just a, Twitter exchange between two people or something like that. And I, I think really uh, that in and of itself is a huge change from just a year ago when basically the year before, it really did feel like there is this like wall between the RC and the rest of the player base. And I know that they didn't feel that way because they were going to shops and stuff still, but they weren't communicating on the scale that the CAG really has allowed um, players to communicate with kind of upper management, I guess. I'm not really quite sure what to say. Like like the the CAG has really, I think, shown in this question that they've had a big impact. I also think there is maybe some reflection of kind of the homecoming that CEDH saw in the last year. Uh, As we mentioned, Flash received its banning basically at the behest of the CEDH community um, in regards to like content producers and things like that. There have been a lot of like YouTube channels that have popped up a couple that come to mind being like playing with power or casually competitive where they sort of demystified what it is that CEDH was about and kind of showed off what was happening in, in the native environment of what was kind of hitherto this mysterious boogeyman. And because there's been a lot of movement towards kind of incorporating 
CDH into Commander, a lot of the bad blood that was kind of flowing in both directions, I think has smoothed over a lot. Yeah, really. I, I think that's a, another really good point. This is the point in the episode where we have we have digested the data, hopefully we've looked at it. And now like, what what do we think about all of this? So uh, yeah, Alex, take, take the stage. Sure. Yeah. I'm, I'm always happy to give my two cents. On the topic of CEDH, we've noticed in the last year, I think, the separating of CEDH, com- competitive as meant in the C and CEDH, and competitive as meant by, say, Sheldon, Sheldon Menery, when he talks about, we don't want Commander to be a competitive format. Um, I think he he's done a good job in clarifying over the last year that what he means is, you know, Commander doesn't want to have prize structures and commander doesn't want to have like sanctioned tournaments for high stakes and the competitive in CEDH never meant that that's what they wanted. And we've kind of seen that, you know, you can play just for fun in a lot of different ways. And, you know, that's a, I think something that helps guide the conversation when you talk about, you know, we need to avoid Commander being a competitive format. Um, It it doesn't really seem, and maybe the community has kind of come to understand that no one really wants that. And whatever it is that is happening at your LGS, um, you know, that's, that's not necessarily where Commander is headed overall. But that leads into maybe another point where why isn't Commander a structured format? Like it's so, so popular, um, but everyone for the most part who's playing it agrees, you know, we don't want to see the Commander Pro Tour anytime soon. And I think the reason for that also kind of gives us a sense of what the obligations are of Commander as a format and the leadership of Commander. Commander really is casual magic. Commander has support unlike any casual format has really ever had. Commander Legends just around the corner. We have standard legal sets incorporating Commander products as just sort of the standard moving forward. Um, it, It used to be that you would see kind of articles about all different kinds of casual magic. You'd have your prismatic and emperor and vanguard and tribal and things like that and you just don't see that anymore casual magic is commander so it it almost it almost doesn't make sense to worry about commander ceasing to be a casual format just because the market share that commander takes up isn't in that space at all commander has kind of knocked out its its competition and uh, as, as Zach said in one of your episodes about 11 months ago now, it kind of succeeds despite itself. It's notable that like Commander's main competitors are just Commander Light or Commander with a slight twist. Um, and we talked about this in our strategic plan episode, but Commander is never going to be competing with modern or legacy or pioneer or standard commander is really competing with Oathbreaker, tiny leaders. I think it's good that there is a monolith of casual play because you don't, it makes it way easier to find people to play with 
and that's what keeps people like playing commander and being part of the format is like how easy is it to pick up a game i think that um rather than worrying about like incentives being introduced and warping the format around those incentives and like everyone starts to get get in on the arms race i think that the leadership of commander needs to see how they can sort of take the wind out of the sails of oathbreaker and similar formats so that commander remains the the monolith of casual play yeah i mean it's almost their responsibility to do that right uh because like you said you want to be able to have a deck that you put together and you can take to the lgs and everyone's on the same page right out the gates um wizards you know to their credit has made all kinds of strides in converting kitchen table magic into commander uh, playability. Like years back, we got Nekusar. That had been a staple of casual 60 card. We see Tiny Bones um, just getting printed where, you know, finally we have a discard commander uh, in mono black. But the the rules committee, uh, and to maybe a lesser extent, the commander advisory group, they should feel some responsibility too. Like this is no longer just the rules of the table up in Alaska. These are rules that have an impact basically whenever anyone wants to play a pickup game of casual magic. Uh, And it doesn't seem to me necessarily, and it, it strikes me as a little odd that people are feeling so heard when there's no clear indication that that kind of responsibility, that kind of stewardship is the way this is framed in the minds of the people leading. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I think that to to build on that, I think that leads back to what you were saying about CEDH. The rules committee and the way they worded the flash ban clearly do not see CEDH as their response, like, uh, being stewards of CEDH, they don't see that as their responsibility and they resent that that expectation is being placed among them. Um, they, they clearly don't want to have anything to do with it and it begs the question of who is responsible if not you and and like I'm sorry that your job isn't you know isn't exactly what you thought it was when you when you started it but you like they need to take responsibility for the the fun of these players who are looking to them for answers. Yeah, that's absolutely that's absolutely true. Kind of just a tangent onto that. So one of the things that the RC sites consistently when they're making decisions is that commanders for the people that are going to hear these announcements like last like commanders for the people who play so casually that they're not going to hear for a while that a card was banned or they're not going to hear for a while that a rules decision was made. And so I think that if that is the case, then you would expect these kind of updates to be reflected as soon as possible so that there's as little disinformation, there's there's as much consistency as possible. And I, I do think that is one of the things that has lagged behind. The RC and the CAG have made like a lot of really good strides, but there are just some things that need to kind of meet the rest of the world in terms of like efficiency and that you know that might be something that a future makeup of the rules committee would have 
a little bit of a better handle on. What I would like to see in future candidates for the rules committee or the CAG, I, I mean, like there has been like a lot of good communication, a lot of transparency with the implementation of the CAG. But what I would really like to see is maybe more policy. And I know this isn't sexy, but I think if there's like written policy for how the RC or the CAG is like making its decisions, how new members are brought in, how just like clear pathways for everything to occur so that like people on the outside can know what's going on. There's been so much that we've learned just from speaking to CAG members. It When we spoke to Shivam Butt, he mentioned that members of the, the RC do get some like proprietary data from wizards and that informs their decision. But like, it, is there any way for a member of the public to know that if you aren't finding it out from the mouth of someone in one of these bodies? I, I think just the whole process could use more transparency, more clear rules so that we can hold them accountable and and, right. and, and like metrics, like a, a modern business watches its metrics to see if it's successful. And I don't know if that's occurring for for the the RC and CAG. I mean the best metric we've seen has come out of this commander climate survey with the the percentage of people who are satisfied with the rules committee's leadership over the past year. But there's other things they could be looking at and I I want to I just want a more like data-driven, transparent, uh structured organization so that people are better able to engage with their representatives or more empowered to become their own representative. If they feel so strongly that something is amiss. Yeah. What would you all like to see? What do you think are the characteristics needed of an RC member? What do you think are the characteristics needed of a CAG member? Um, are they different? What, what are you hoping for as the, the leadership gets on in years transitions, because there has been a notable um, of, uh, well, I won't say it a vac- it's a vacancy because the number of CAG members is fluid, but Ron Foster, um, actually, he decided to decline to continue as a member of the commander advisory group. Mm-hmm. So there's, you know, opportunity there to bring new blood in and, and perhaps get some more representation in. So what, what do you look for in members of these two groups? So... With the, with the CAG, I guess, I'll start with them. You know, the Commander Advisory Group was formed to advise the Rules Committee, but I think one of the things that they have done that has been most useful to the Rules Committee is actually to advise the public. Many of them are media creators, uh, content creators. Many of them have uh, very large followings on social media. And when... Whenever a change has been made to the format, there is a, a sort of wave of engagement with the uh, commander playing population in explaining why. I guess what that might tell us kind of at the front end is that the skill set of a member of the commander advisory group, maybe not necessarily, but sort of by tradition, is going to lean heavily on the ability to communicate in both directions, um, to create arguments for the rules committee to digest, but also to reprocess and put forth those arguments to the public, which is now living under their governance. I guess if we frame the 
commander advisory group as being like in that lane, it takes a lot of the pressure off of the rules committee to do that. We, we've talked earlier in this episode about, you know, all the ways that the rules committee could be communicating with you and I and every other player better. But if it's clear that that's not the structure, if the rules committee is not the one you should turn to for an expl- explanation, you know, that those pills become a little easier to swallow. Um, but in that event, then you're going to want not someone who can communicate the data, but someone who can thoughtfully reflect on it. And for, you know, all that you might criticize the rules committee, they are very high level judges, one and all. They understand how the game works, even if we might not disagree with their vision for the format. Hmm. Yeah, I think that is definitely a huge strength on their part. And I think it's because of that and also because of um, because of Charlotte Sable being brought as a, a younger judge than the, the RC members um, that they were able to sort of crack the problem of how to make death triggers work in Commander. It was really, uh, as, as Charlotte mentioned when we interviewed her about it, it was a really um, innovative idea. Basically, the way death touch works is it triggers it kind of just happens once so if like a creature has indestructible bumps into a death touch creature and then loses indestructible later it doesn't then die even though it has damage marked on it from a death touch creature because the death touch trigger just happens once sees that the creature is indestructible and stops and that's sort of the technology that was used for for the death trigger change this single turn this this one shot check and you know, when I was, when, when people were debating the idea of a commander death trigger, you know, I, I don't have that deep of a knowledge of the rules. And I was just like, this seems very difficult, maybe impossible to have a clean execution within the rules. And they solved it because they're so strong on the judging aspect. And that's, so that's definitely a skill set that they need. And I would just like to see other skill sets make their way onto the rules committee and hopefully that as they're plucking people from the CAG and plucking people to add to the CAG, they are looking for complementary skills. And that's I'm hoping that's the direction that the RC can move so it so that the skill set of the RC is reflective of the skill set of the of the CAG, is reflective of the the needs of the community. There is one topic I really want to touch on. And we've mentioned before that in our view, one of the biggest challenges to the continued health of the format is just how affordable and accessible it is. And there has been over the past, say, five years, maybe longer, a noticeable increase in the secondary market value of commander staples as more people are drawn to the format, as demand increases, while for many of these staples, uh, supply remains static. It's just been a lot less affordable and back in the day, you know, 10 years ago, you could easily build a new deck for $100 and it'd be pretty competitive. Um, like the budget decks have just lost a lot of power over the past couple of years. Um, and so there's been a lot of attention on Wizards for like solving the reprint problem and addressing the high cost of all these format staples. And I, I think that Wizards is is really starting to get a handle on it. 
I know it's a little bit early to say this um, because there's still so many products left in the year. But I think that between Mystery Boosters, uh, Jumpstart, Double Masters, and some aggressive reprints in the core set in M21, it looks like they're taking the problem seriously. And I think the effects are already being felt, especially for cards with um, low reprint equity, meaning cards that have high prices as a result of low supply rather than high demand. So a good example of this is, say, Imperial Recruiter. It was printed once in Portal Three Kingdoms, then it was printed as a judge promo, and both of those printings were, you know, in the order of several hundred dollars. And then it was reprinted in, oh, which master set was that? Masters 25. And mm-hmm. as a mythic rare, so like not not a low rarity card, but since then its price has significantly dropped. It's now like $45 for a while. It was 20 and then $30. So it really made a, a significant dent on the price. And that's because there's not actually a lot of demand for Imperial Recruiter. It's just, it only had two hard to get printings. And I think that Wizards now has some new mechanisms for really addressing these cards that, oops, they were just printed once, but now they have ways to get them out there and into the hands of players and significantly impact their price. I mean, look at Grim Tutor with M21 right now. Oh, yeah. It's, like, I'm pretty sure we're going to see the exact same same price flux or price chart, basically. Oh, yeah. As of the time of recording, Grim Tutor is about $15. And this is like, you know, the weekend of release. It's likely to drop a little bit more beyond that. Whereas previously it was you know, several hundred dollars. But really, I want to focus on mystery boosters because I think a big limiting factor in Wizards' ability to address the reprint problems is the simple fact of how many cards get printed in a year, how many slots they have to work with in terms of getting reprints out there. So in the year in between um, the release of Guilds of Ravnica and Commander 2019, so that one-year period, about 2000 cards were printed and or 2000 and i'm saying like that includes supplemental products that includes main sets like you know the the ravnica block the core sets things like game nights the the commander precons all of those cards together are about 2000 cards that includes reprints that includes new cards so it's not a huge volume that wizards has to work with in terms of like getting these cards out there especially when there's so many com- there's so many staples played in commander there's so many cards out there that could use a reprinting and they have to fit into the structures that are available to them like you're not going to be able to get three visits say for example into a standard legal set because they've already decided that that power level is too high for standard. They don't print two cost ramp spells anymore, growth spiral notwithstanding. And and so they, they're really limited in how they can get things out there. But the introduction of mystery boosters, um, like mystery boosters, by putting so, so many cards into a single product, they're able to affect a wide variety of prices across the board. And mystery boosters... There's about 1,800 cards in them, and that's not including the playtest cards because those are just silly joke cards. Um, but there's about 1,800 cards in Mystery Boosters, and that's almost as many as that one-year period I was talking about, the the Guilds of Ravnica to C19 year. Uh, so 
they're basically able just with this one product they're able to double the number of cards that they're putting out into circulation and even though because that structure makes it so that every card is essentially a mythic rare every card printed in mystery boosters has a one in 121 chance of making it into a given booster um if the supply is low then even that mythic rarity is enough to to make an impact on price as we saw with imperial recruiter it was printed as a mythic rare and still ended up as a fraction of its previous price so uh, just some i just want to throw out some examples here so um expropriate prior to the the release of the um the retail edition of mystery boosters was $45. It went down to $21. Selvala heart of the wilds went from $60 to $34. Weathered Wayfarer went from $12 to $4. And even mana crypt, which is, you know, widely regarded as one of the best cards in the format. Naturally, there's going to be a lot of demand for it. It went from $200 at the time of release to around $140 as a result of this mystery booster printing. So really significant change on price for a wide variety of cards. And and Jumpstart is in a way like is also reminiscent of this. Granted, Jumpstart is a lot more rigid in what kind of cards can be reprinted because they have to fit into the themes that are selected. But it's still 500 cards being printed in a single set and they're able to make a dent on the value of a lot of them. So these these high, highly, I don't know what the what the right word is, these sets that they're printing with a huge amount of cards in them are a great tool for fixing for adjusting the price of cards that really like quote unquote shouldn't be expensive, that don't face a lot of high demand, but just, you know, only saw a printing in a starter set 15 years ago or something. So I think that's a great tool. Uh, go ahead, Zach. It sounds like you are inhaling there. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, I just want to—I like really want to go on record and say that I—I I was sad. I know it was the first time they did it with Mystery Booster, but I would really hope that they just have Mystery Booster as a product you can get. Being a more functional facsimile for a Chaos Draft was amazing, and honestly, like Nick has just said, could offer a really functional a really uh, appropriate solution to the reprint problem and the cost of entering commander which is honestly that eventually going to be the cost of entering magic for a lot of people one of the reasons magic swelled is because of commander and because a casual format has gotten just easier to play over the years with the exception of price so if the price stays at a manageable level where you can buy the cards you want you can play with your friends that's only going to be better for commander it's only going to be better for magic and Honestly, I would rather draft a mystery booster than most sets most of the time because <laughs> mm-hmm. it was so much fun and the ability to get like whatever cards and whatever slots was really fun and really cool. So I would really hope that Wizards takes a lesson from mystery booster, like Nick says, and uh, looks at Jumpstart and sees how, how well it's being received, it seems like, and makes these more or less yearly just yearly releases because i i and i'm not just saying that because i like the products i'm saying that because i think that would greatly impact the health of magic as a game just period that's my that's my little spiel yeah as someone who's prone to worrying i'll 
just kind of add an addendum to that. Um, I just hope that the mystery booster and uh, jumpstart and um, opportunities to kind of put reprints in a place where they're not going to um, affect a whole lot doesn't make wizards feel like they don't need to put good reprints in sets. And I know that's a little odd to say um, on the heels of uh, M21, but, or I guess core 2021, they call it these days, but um, you know, with something like Nyx Bloom Ancient, right? Like we need a mana reflection reprint. That card has been going up and up and up um, ever since it's been printed. And in some ways one could view Nyx Bloom Ancient as being like a release valve on that. Except, you know, if you look at the price, it's been exactly the opposite. Um, Nyx Bloom Ancient kind of serving as a second mana reflection sort of reminded players uh, that they could attempt to do what mana reflection is doing. And when it comes to something that like could have been a, a reprint, but wasn't, or was a functional reprint, or was like a slight improvement. Let me give an analogy here. You don't just play one playset of Lords in 12 Lord Merfolk. You play 12 Lord Merfolk so that you can play all 12 of them. Um, and it's no, it's no different in Commander. And it just is kind of worrying that in some standard sets where they could be putting reprints that make sense. I mean, Mana Reflection is an iconic enchantment. It could have very easily just been in Nixbloom Ancient's slot in Theros Beyond Death. Um, but instead we have two, and it, it feels like in some ways that offers the danger of kicking the can down the road, where, like, yes, we're getting lots of reprints now, but if then every year Wizards prints, you know, 500 more cards that need to get reprinted on a regular basis, um, the reprint problem is not going to get much better at all. Hmm. But, you know, that's that's a, a very uh, worrywart kind of take on it. Yeah, I, I think that they are trying to sidestep that issue by just creating more venues in which to put reprints. So like the mystery boosters, like double masters, like we, you know, we saw uh, like it, it wouldn't be out of theme for them to put mana reflection in double masters um, since they like decided to put doubling season as a marquee card, if that's like a theme that they're going, but uh I think that they're trying to sidestep the issue of like, how can we fit reprints into standard legal sets by just creating these new venues? And I think that's fine. As long as they get into hands of players, it is unfortunate that like mystery boosters sees a smaller print run than standard legal sets. And because everything is a mythic rarity, you're not able to like get nearly as many of them out there as if they were to be preprinted as a rare in a standard legal set. Um, but, uh, you know, I'm I'm willing to to see how double masters impacts uh, the these these problems that we're seeing, and r- rather than than chastise them for what they're not doing in other in other sets. Yeah, I mean, I just 
my worry is just that, uh, you know, in five years, we'll be seeing triple masters after instead of printing doubling season in a standard set, they put tripling season or something like that. Mm -hmm. I got you. Mm, Yeah, no, I mean, that that is, I mean, I think a valid concern to put out into the world, though. One last thing I want to say before we move on to the next topic. Um, I'm not holding my breath that cards with a lot of reprint equity are going to tank anytime soon. I think that the mystery boosters and potentially double masters are a great way to address cards with low reprint equity that can significantly put a dent in their price by just increasing the supply. But I don't think that we're going to see, you know, $20 mana crypts anytime soon because any supply that gets put out there is just going to get swallowed up. If you're a commander player and you open a mana crypt, you're, you're probably not going to like sell it and put it into the market so that the the actual supply available to people increases. If you're the kind of person who was never going to buy a mana crypt, but would keep one if you opened it, then you're not really affecting the market until Mana Crypt gets down to a point in price where you would actually shell out dollars for it. So I think that the reprint problem is always going to be there for these high value staples or these high demand staples. And that's going to be an ongoing challenge for the format. Yeah, until we see like secret layer Mana Crypt where we can all buy as many <laughs> Mana Crypt as we want. Yes. Oh man, take my money, wizards. <laughs> um, sorry, this yeah, is go a ahead. little out of turn, uh, but on the topic of the huge variety of different cards that can be played in Commander, I think one of the major appeals of the format is where this is where you can take your favorite archetype, uh, whatever that might have been, standard archetype, draft archetype, um, and it, you can kind of almost retire to Commander. Again, we, we, we see that Wizards is incorporating um, new commanders that bring to life old, like, ancient archetypes. Um, we finally see, like, Shrieking Drake mattering, and Shrieking Drake mattered quite a lot in Casual Magic and finally matters again in Commander. Um, but, but we don't have to stop with just what Wizards is doing. We could also see something like that happening um, under the direction of the rules committee as we examine, you know, what things do we want to have banned? What things do we want to have legal? What things do we want working? Which way? Can you, can you uh, elaborate on that a little bit? Um, how, how would the, how are you, how would the actions of the rules committee with regard to the ban list um, enable more cards like that? Well, there are certain cards that are just banned outright. Um, You have Biorhythm, you have Coalition Victory, both cards that can kind of be used to, like, generate a deck. Like, Biorhythm is conceivably an archetype undo itself. And while it certainly, you know, wouldn't be something to that full scale in Commander, um, making it legal at all can at least make it so that people who enjoy Biorhythm, a card that really can't be played anywhere else, um, can, you know, use the card they enjoyed when they were, were young. And, you know, y- yeah, like it could potentially kill you, but so can Crater Hoof. So we might want to think about it through this lens of like the individuals who have a horse in the race. Or another another good example might be um, the hybrid banner rules. Like every draft archetype under the sun can become a commander deck. You can make a pirate commander deck if that's what you want to do. 
Um, but when you have the hybrid rules work like they do now, what you're not allowing is some of the shadow more even tied draft archetypes, which were all monocolor, to be used the way that they kind of were put all together um, in that environment. So if you really enjoyed like having your monocolor colors matter deck, that deck doesn't have a home anywhere else. Um, it's not incumbent necessarily on wizards to create like a five color hybrid commander um, when we could be solving that problem without their interdiction. That's a great point. Yeah. Yeah. I, th I think that the rules of the format should definitely be chosen in such a way that it enhances the, the best characteristics of the format. We've said this many, many times, but probably the, the best indicator of the format's health or the thing that the single greatest strength of commander is that you can play so many different decks. You, it's, very, very difficult to get bored of Commander when there's hundreds and hundreds of decks that you can build. Well, not not just that. Um, you sit down, you're going to play with three players who each themselves have chosen from one of those hundreds of viable archetypes, which just compounds the complexity. Yeah, absolutely. You can play with a playgroup for years and still see like new combinations of decks just because of how many different options each player has and how many players are in a game. Yeah, looking to the hybrid rules, not just as like, well, what makes sense for like the flavor we're trying to go to, but rather does this create new decks that will that players can play and enjoy and and keeps them in the format for that much longer? I think that's a a more important question than like, well, does does Lovisa Cold Eyes really understand this blue mana? Like that's kind of silly in comparison. Um, and granted, you know, that's maybe that's reductionist on my part. There are definitely costs to hybrid mana. It could like contribute to the good stuff issue, but there's advantages that should not be ignored. Um, and they're definitely extend beyond like, well, I think this card is cool. No, there's it enhances gameplay for sure. The last thing I want to get to today is, is there anything like based on what we think the next few years are going to look like the rules committee, what what can they do to address those upcoming changes? So I'm just going to give a, a bullet point list of some of the major trends we've been seeing. One is that people feel listened to people feel like their voices are being heard by the, the CAG and the RC. Another is increased satisfaction with the RC's management of the format uh, a decrease in interest in Wizards' input into Commander, more support for wishboards, more support for reintroducing the Band as Commander category, and reprints becoming a bit more available, a little bit more management of the reprint problem. So based on those trends, how can the Rules Committee react to those? How should that change their plans for managing the format? Well, as you said earlier, I think it's just good sense to take advantage of data when you have it. Um, you know, if if the rules committee was running a company, they would listen to the statistics that are out there. They would, you know, listen to the arguments being advanced even by dissenting voices, um, and they would move forward 
in a disciplined way. And and I think, you know, we've seen a lot more of that in the last year. Um, and, you know, if that's a sign of things to come, I think many folks will be very happy with that. This increased satisfaction with the Rules Committee, people feeling listened to, is definitely a clear result of their actions over the past year. Continuing to engage with the CEDH community, continuing to to use the CAG to filter voices up to the Rules Committee. I think they have to keep doing that because it's working great for them so far. And even though they were really trepidatious about making bans solely because of CEDH, this shows that it worked for them and they should continue doing it in the future. They, they said it was a one-time thing. They said, don't take this as a precedent. But if you are getting an enormous positive response as a result of this thing that you don't want to do, then maybe you should reconsider what you think your job to be. That being said, uh, a couple more things. I think that the decreased interest in Watsi input is related to this. I think that when people weren't getting their voices heard, they were more willing to get wizards involved because in the hope that wizards you know would fix the problems that the rules committee is unable or unwilling to to address but now that the rc is like uh is doing well people are happy with it there's less interest in giving the format over and if the rules committee wants to remain independent from wizards then they should continue on the current track if the players don't want it if the rules committee doesn't want it then it's not going to happen beyond that I think that they need to take a second look at band is commander. If the majority of the format wants something, then it's kind of like who cares if it's a little complicated. It's a list that's only going to grow over time. It may not carry a lot of weight now, but it, it may in the future and people want it. And it does expand the number of archetypes available, or it does expand people's ability to do what they want to do. Black Stacks would love to have Braid's Cabal Minion, even if it's only as a member of the 99. Finally, um, reprints becoming more available. There's not much that the Rules Committee can do regarding this because it's kind of out of their hands. I mean, it's a good thing for the format because it makes it so that like budget content is more easily made and so they can promote that kind of stuff and get it out there to audiences that maybe aren't willing to plop down $300 for a deck, but could put down $50 or $100. So promoting budget content creators as their material, as their content becomes easier to produce as a result of better reprints. And, you know, this might be attacking uh, a completely separate issue from the, the back angle, as it were. But, you know, if the rules committee is interested in kind of defining what is pro-social and anti-social. And uh, we kind of know from experience, a lot of the cards that generate frustration among players are cards that are powerful and expensive, kind of in the vein of Mana Crypt, Cyclonic Rift, um, to a lesser extent, cards like Teferi's Protection and things like that. Then if the Rules Committee is more vocal and puts more pressure on Wizards and the CAG could do this too, of course. If they put pressure on wizards to make these cards more widely available, um, we might see kind of a redefining of what is pro social and anti social and create a gameplay experience that is just more positive overall. I'd like to just say that I think that the last year has been great for Commander and I think the future looks promising, although. Commander still does have some challenges ahead for it. I think that 
progress is being made on a lot of the most pressing ones. And I am am really optimistic about the future of Commander. How do, how do you all feel about where Commander is going? I think Commander, I think whatever course Commander takes is going to lead it to success. Everyone listening to this podcast and you and I and Zach, we, we all uh, are here talking about this right now. Uh, and all of you at home are listening because we care deeply uh, about something that I think we all invest a lot of ourselves into. And, you know, it's not necessarily a conversation about whether Commander will succeed or fail. It's a matter of how spectacularly it will succeed. As we look forward, I think maybe the right way to frame a lot of these issues is not, are we doing a passable job, but are, are we being the best that we can be uh, as the torchbearer for casual magic? I think that's a great way to put it. As we've said before, like Commander is... You know, it's a juggernaut. It's going to succeed almost no matter what, but it can be better. It can be improved. And I just want our leadership to seize those opportunities when when they arise. As for the future, I should offer you guys a congratulations on reaching triple digits. That's a, a big moment for you guys. Uh, and I look forward to the next 100 and the 100 beyond that. Again, I'm both uh, privileged and honored to uh, be here to share this big moment with you guys. Well, we have loved having you on the show every time you guest, and this is no exception. We really appreciate your your insight, your analysis, and we had a big topic today, and there's few people who I would trust to manage it as well as you did. So thank you so much for helping us tackle today's topic and for coming on the show again. Yeah, again, thank you for having me. Always a pleasure to be here. All right. Well, that that about wraps it up. Uh, thank you to the listeners uh, for coming with us on today's episode. Let us know on social media what you thought. And we, uh, we hope you stick with us for another 100 episodes. We would not have gotten this far without your support. And we really appreciate all our fans, everyone who engages with us. And we hope that together we can continue to... Uh, improve the quality of the discourse in Commander. Thank you so much for listening. Hi, guys. Just popping in to say a few last-minute thank yous. So everything we do is only possible with your support and the support of the friends we've been making on this journey to 100 episodes uh, just making Commander content. So first off, thank you to Alex Whiteclay, who was just on this episode, and Charlotte Sable for being able to help us come on the show we're just so glad to have you guys as friends and so thankful for the help that you provided over this last year in particular, offering insight into the format, evaluating new cards with us, theorycrafting decks, and new commanders. A lot of the last few months of content would not be possible if we did not have the help of these two individuals in particular. We're so glad to have you as friends and so glad to have you on the show. Thank you to Kyle and Andy at the Legendary Creature Podcast. Me and Nick are so glad we've been able to do a collaboration with you last year. We can't wait to do more in the future. We both love your content and your brews and the fact that you're both legitimately very funny in a world of very stoic content creators, um, which we're not really necessarily helping with. Oops. Um, but uh, you always talk about us in the nicest way, and we are so grateful to be making things in this world with you guys. So hopefully we'll get to do something soon, uh, even if it's not super heady. Uh, I just think the world will be a better place for that. And then finally, thank you to you, the listener, the person listening to this right now, and to our patrons who are a very specific type of listener. 
Uh, we literally could not do this without your support. We could not put out increasing quality of content without your help. Uh, whenever you tell a friend about what we're talking about on the show, whenever you give us a dollar on Patreon, whenever you tweet about a topic that we talk about on the show, or just discuss with whoever in a Discord, uh, it makes what we're doing worth it. It makes what we're doing easier and just progresses the conversations needed to happen in the Commander community as a whole. Uh, Nick and me really want this format to thrive. Uh, we love Commander so much, and the conversations, like the ones we have on this very long episode, sorry, sorry, it was so long, are ways to make sure that things don't stagnate, even when the format itself is pretty fairly healthy, and it makes sure that this format that we love continues to be fun and amazing for years to come. So, with that said, thank you even more specifically to... Bradley, Gustav, Ryan, Mark, Addison, Mason, Rick, Laser, Raphael, Kyle, Charlotte, Andrew, Tom, The White Clays, Aubrey, Hannah, Anthony, Andy, Dylan, James, Justin, Logan, Roger, David, Evan, Bryce, Dylan, Benjamin, Jason, Kyle, Jerry, Brandon, Amund, and Kevin. So, hey, let's all see what happens in 100 more episodes, and thank you all so much. If any of you theorists want to get in touch with us, I am at Commander Theory on Twitter and Tumblr, and Zach is at Fat Bartleby on Twitter. Our theme song is Lincoln Continental by Entropy, and you can check them out on SoundCloud. Until next time, we're going back to the drawing board.